So what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. My name's Felicia, I'm your host, and I'm a lady talking about sex. This week, we have a very, very special guest with us. We have Dr. Lori Bechito. Uh, Dr. Lori, do you want to give people a little bit of an understanding of who you are, <laughs> why you're such an expert and a sex guru, and I just oh, want you to gee. rave about yourself, um, please. All right, well, most people, at least older people, know me from the radio. I've been doing radio for 30 years now. I started my career on uh, Mix 96, which was which is now Virgin Radio, doing a, uh, a sex, like answering questions uh, on the air. And then for the last 21 years, I've had a nightly show on uh, CJD in the uh, on the AM airwaves. So I've been doing that for a very long time, practicing for uh, over 30 years in the field of sexuality and psychology. So I'm a clinical psychologist by career uh, with a specialty in, uh, in sex therapy. And over the years, my career has taken me mostly in, in the media. So from radio, I've done a lot of television, um, been the sex expert on numerous uh, TV shows, had my own TV show for a couple of seasons. Um, and then then I got involved with Pornhub. Uh, Pornhub is the biggest uh, porn site in the world. And with them, in collaboration with them, I started a site called the Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center to be able to offer people who go to the Pornhub site to be able to give them um, a more healthy perspective on sexuality. So uh, I did that, and then I wrote a book as well before that, uh, which was the Sex Bible for People Over 50. I've done a couple of uh, TEDx talks. We just uh, we reached over a million views on one of them, so I'm very excited about that. And uh, what else can I tell you? <laughs> I mean, I think you've done it all, so I don't think that there's anything you missed on that list. But maybe just to get to know you a little bit better and to kind of pick your brain a little bit, what made you interested in becoming... Um, a sex expert and you know sexual health because obviously 30 years ago it definitely wasn't as cool as it is now no but uh, you're well 30 years ago it was starting to be cool maybe not as cool as your age but I would throw it back at you what has made you interested in talking about sex because what makes you interested is what had made me interested at a very young age so when I was in high school for some reason, my friends were, would come to me uh, to get sex advice. Don't, don't know why. I just It was easier for me to talk about it. It's not like I was misexperienced or anything. But back then, we ha I had one source where I could get information from, and that was Cosmopolitan magazine. <laughs> okay? We didn't have the internet. I had encyclopedias, and I had... Cosmo magazine, which always had an article about how to give a blowjob or how to please your man or how to whatever it is. So that was really a, a big source of, uh, of where I got information from. Uh, and from that point on, I think uh, in university, I took a course. There was only one course at the time that was on sexuality, just one. I took that course and loved it and then just followed in the footsteps of that professor, basically, and, and did the training where she had done her training. And so everything just went from there that's amazing but I think I think I've always wanted to be a sex therapist like I I couldn't remember when or how or, or you know thinking back like I'm 56 years old it's a long way back but um, I remember running into my grade 11 uh, teacher uh, years later who said to me oh Lori did you ever become that sex therapist you talked about and I go how did you know she says well you used to talk about it in grade 11 
So I said, oh, I guess I've been wanting to do this a long time. That's incredible. Honestly, I think that the reason why I got into it is just because I found that the resources that were available to us weren't either accessible or easy to follow. I just felt like women's health has been so overlooked. And even myself, just Mm -hmm. like, you know, getting my first UTI, I thought like that was it. I was dying. Like I didn't understand what was going on and nobody talked to me about it. So I felt like it was super important to not only educate myself, but my friends. And then, you know, as it progressed, you you kind of move forward (laughs) and you're like, well, there's there's an industry for this and we need to talk about it. So had there been podcasting back then, I'm sure I would have been a teenage (laughs) podcaster. (laughs) I I definitely think podcasts are a great tool to use as well because it's so accessible to people. And especially now with the quarantine and everything, everyone has time to just sit and listen to a podcast or, you know, mindlessly do chores. So I think that it's a great um, resource. And I'm very lucky that I'm amongst many sex podcasts now, which is super great. Right, And my show, actually, my nightly show is also podcasted on SoundCloud and on iHeartRadio. So people can access it and do access it from all over the world at different times. So that's been a plus also for getting a a wider audience. Amazing. What's your show called again, just for our listeners? Uh, It's called Passion. It's on at 10 p.m. every night, Monday to Friday on CJD 800 or on the iHeartRadio network. Okay, perfect. Great plug. Everyone, yeah, thank most you. of our uh, <laughs> listeners are from Montreal as well So, because we run outside of McGill, so we have a few Canadian people within our um, our listenership right. that will definitely tune into that. And I'm very happy to do this as a McGill alumni myself, so that's great. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. That's incredible. I did uh, three degrees at McGill. Whoa. No, four degrees at McGill. Do you want to list them off, please? <laughs> uh, well, my it, my start was as a, a BA in psychology, which got me really into the mind and, and wanting to learn more. And then I decided to do a, a Bachelor of Social Work. Uh, so I did that. And then I went to work for a bit. And then I went back to McGill for a, um, a master's degree in social work. But then I switched out... Uh, kind of towards the end. I never actually completed that master's degree and I went to do a master's PhD program in psychology at uh, Université de Québec à Montréal. Amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I've been around McGill. I used to be part of the initial crew of Radio McGill uh, when McGill was, well, it still has a radio station, but we weren't on the FM dial yet. So I used to do some work for them. That was my hangout. That's amazing. You were ahead of your time. You knew it was up. Yeah, except that I never, ever, ever thought about going into radio. That was off my radar completely. That was purely by accident. Really? Purely by accident, yeah. Did you find that it was an easier tool to kind of engage in these conversations that you wanted to, or was it just presented to you? It, well, it was presented to me as, a, as an option, like when I was, uh, had finished my training and I was working at a hospital, in a hospital setting at a sex clinic, and this guy walked in who happened to be a radio talk show, like, jock, you know, uh, DJ, and uh, he was wanting to do a show about sexuality, like, once a week on, uh, on a, a music station, and he asked me and my colleagues if we'd be interested and I said yes I would be interested I mean just for fun I said I figured what could it hurt if it if I suck I'll never do it again right (laughs) Uh, and anyway I ended up loving it and part of what I loved about it was 
just the connection with listeners and we had a lot of young people calling in with questions and it was like oh wow I can answer these people's questions who have nowhere else to go like it's a really tough to and back then we didn't have the internet either remember that <laughs> so uh <laughs> always remember that we didn't have any of the technologies we didn't even have like um you know where we can turn people off the radio like a dump button or anything like that so it was like a whole other was real to real and sticking things together and anyway <laughs> it was a whole other world <laughs> that's incredible yeah. so as i could finish you know fangirling over you i, I wanted <laughs> to let everyone know what we're going to discuss today um and so you do a really great ted talk about the pleasure principle and kind of discussing pleasure within sexuality and especially for women we kind of get the short end of the pleasure stick uh, and there's a lot of factors that you know encompass why this happens so I kind of wanted to discuss with you um, maybe just ask a few questions as to like why you think that pleasure isn't something that we prioritize um, well it yes for sure and it's it's not something we prioritize because as a society it's not something we focus on we don't talk about it we if you look at any sex education that has been had over the decades you don't hear about pleasure you only hear about the dangers right you might get pregnant you're gonna catch an sti you're gonna look like the, whatever so we don't talk about why we actually have sex and teenagers have sex why because it feels good i mean for the most part right um <laughs> of course forget like there's the pressures and there's other things involved as well but we don't really teach women about their bodies about the pleasure they have We're, we still have a double standard when it comes to pleasure men have an intimate relationship with their genitals that women do not have remember men pull out their penises multiple times a day to pee to so they they know it very very well <laughs> women do not they don't have access to their genitals in the same way they are afraid to look even like you ask women i just saw a study that showed the 40 40 44 of women could not identify a vagina on a diagram like that's pretty serious Wow. Yeah. So we don't like we don't know, we know vagina as the whole thing, but hardly anybody knows that the vagina is one part of the vulva. So we don't teach that word. And I have a very funny story to tell on that one. So I, when my kids were little, I have two two girls. They're older now, but uh, when they were little. I wanted them to know the words, the accurate words, right? So I taught them about the vulva and the vagina and the clitoris and all that stuff. And when my littlest one was in kindergarten or pre-K even, they were learning the alphabet. And uh, she got the letter V. Guess what her <laughs> word was? Her word was vulva. Oh and, the, the, and the teacher looked at her and said, what's that? Whoa. So here you have this five-year-old teaching the teacher what a vulva was because for her it was only a vagina, right? She, she hadn't heard the word vulva. So just to show you that we don't really explore that and that we don't give women that opportunity to really get to know their bodies. How many parents will tell their daughters, here, take a mirror, have a look at yourself. Here's a diagram, here's a, here's a mirror. Why don't you identify your part so you know what you own? It's like you're the owner of this body. You should know your body. We don't do that. We don't talk about pleasure. We don't talk about pain. We don't talk about things that can hurt. Women are often left 
feeling like they're abnormal. They they ask they have questions. They don't know who to ask. They don't their doctors don't ask them about their sexuality. So who are they supposed to talk to? No, a hundred percent. And I think there's a huge amount of shame even with looking at your vagina. I feel like we've and vulva. I think that we've associated it with something. S- so Dirty? negative yeah <laughs> and that, which is really sad for me to know or to think that all these years later it hasn't changed that much like when I hear you talk like that I'm thinking shit we have not come a long way you know like we should have we should have overcome this by now in my day that's the way it was like we still had those messages that good girls don't do this and good girls don't do that and you're a slut if you do this and so it hasn't changed all that much. Like it's maybe moved just a little bit. So we have some work to do. You have some work to do because you're the next generation and you got to take charge of this. I mean, I think we're definitely trying. Um, but I even, me, myself and my roommate, were both 20 years old. And I, the other day, explained to my roommate that her clitoris is not her pee hole. And <laughs> she didn't know. <laughs> See? I'm 20. So, so if she wouldn't have known at 30 either if nobody had pointed it out to her. No, so it's it's incredible to me how much we... And I remember in high school labeling the penis and where the sperm comes from and all of those those terms, but I feel like the diagrams for the vagina and the vulva were so, like, basic and, and we didn't really discuss how complex or... Um, yeah, did you? Did they ever show you pictures of what a vulva looks like? Real life vulvas? Nope. Right. <laughs> I, I have a poster in my office. I should just show it to you. But <laughs> the diagrams have definitely got on a lot better. But like nobody shows you, you know, that there are. I don't know if you can see this, but that there are lots Beautiful. of different, lots of different vulvas around, right? And then when you see this, you're able to say, oh, okay, so. On this person, the clitoris looks like that. On that person, the clitoris looks differently. So that's the kind of thing you don't see. And what you do see is going to be in porn. And porn isn't exactly your best uh, uh, example. It's like like looking at a Barbie doll and thinking that all vulvas look like Barbie, right? That's just not going to work. So... Yeah, you're in, in biology class, you're getting the, the anatomical look, like the inside look, right? You see the, 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 uh, you see the uterus and you see the canal, the vagina, you see like a cross-section of it. But you're not really looking at the full structure of the clitoris, which is a huge structure within the vagina that nobody knows about because they think it's that just that little button right there. So there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things that women have uh, just don't know because we don't talk about it. Like I see women all the time who come to my office thinking there's something wrong with them because they can't have an orgasm through intercourse. When they find out that 80% of women do not orgasm through intercourse, they're like, what? I didn't know this. Like, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. You're perfectly normal. This is a normal female. Yeah, and I... I want to kind of ask you because so many women have so many misconceptions of the way their body works and the way it functions and even just like the basic thing of having an orgasm. Some women don't learn how to, you know, have an orgasm until they're in their 30s or 40s because they're coming to see specialists. So I was wondering if there was maybe like a root or uh, if we want to like blame the patriarchy as to why we're conditioned to believe so many false narratives surrounding women's health and sexuality and our vaginas and vulvas 
Well, it's true that we can blame some of it on the patriarchal society that we live in and, and the fact that women have been over the centuries um, made to believe that sex is something they had to provide and that they had to just do as their marital obligation, let's say. Uh, I still hear from like uh, young baby boomers who still, I've still heard that coming from guys who say, well, that's your duty, isn't it? Like, what duty? Like, and so looking at, at uh, sexuality as something that you give rather than something that is your right as much as it is your partner's right and that pleasure is your right um, we have to get away from that old way of thinking. Like it's not, and women even today still feel this pressure that if I don't give him sex, he's going to be irritated, angry with me. We're going to fight. Like there's a lot of pressure because oftentimes men's libidos be higher than their partners or at least their libidos are different uh, or expressed differently. But all that pressure only serves to stomp on women's libido. It doesn't help it doesn't help them have more libido when you have a partner that's angry with you because you're not giving me sex. Like it just doesn't work that way, right? I saw how you're gonna get sex is by by putting that kind of pressure. So I think part of it is men thinking that there's something wrong with women if they don't feel the way they do. And one of the th- and we have to understand that as a society, we come to look at sexuality in a very linear way, um, in a very masculine way. So we look at it, at, and this is goes way back to Masters and Johnsons, who were the first ones to talk about the sexual response cycle, that looked at. Um, you know, uh, desire leading to arousal, et cetera, et cetera, right? Whereas for women, it doesn't always work that way. So men and women at the beginning of a relationship are often on the same wavelength. It's new. There's a chemical released in your brain that's the lust chemical. Like you want to be together all the time. You want to have a lot of sex. But over time for women, that chemical dies out. And now women in long-term relationships can, not everybody, but for a lot of women, they lose the spontaneous desire for sex. They lose the, um, I'm so horny, I got to get some kind of feeling, okay? Uh, Whereas men tend not to lose that. That tends to stay steady for men. So men don't understand what's going on. They like, well, I don't understand what's what's wrong with you. Why why aren't you like you were a year ago or at the beginning of our relationship? And well, is it me? Did I do something? Or what's wrong with you? You know, go get fixed. But what they're not. So when they're comparing it to themselves, it looks like there's something wrong with their partner. But if you reframe sexuality a little bit and reframe the way you look at desire you get to see that we just come to it from a different place. So women may lose the spontaneous desire for sex, but what they don't lose is the responsiveness. So in other words, if women agree to have sex or they put themselves in a situation where they, they, they are open to having sex, they get stimulated sexually, it's that stimulation, that arousal, which is going to trigger the desire to continue. Right. So they may not totally feel like it, but if they get into it, they're fully in it and they enjoy it. So their desire becomes responsive rather than spontaneous. 
Why does that change in women and men? Um, do we know why or is it just... I think that's just the way the brain operates. I, I, it's hard to know the why. First of all, libido is affected by many, many different things. So it's not like an easy one answer for this because for different women, there are different reasons. So women who come to see me who have low libido, what I like to look at is what is the quality of their relationship? What other things are going on in their lives? Like for women, libido is tied into their whole lives. It, it can't, it's not separated out of their life. Whereas men have an easier time splitting those two things off, the sexuality from the rest. Like they can drop everything and have sex. Women have a, bring all of that stuff into the bedroom. Mm. They have it's the women who have to learn how to separate and how to relax the mind and body to be fully present in the sexual experience. So it's not necessarily about having the libido, but having the openness to be sexual, knowing full well that it's going to benefit them. And it's a little bit like the, the comparison I make is like, you know, you have some people that just love going to the gym. Mm -hmm. they, they're like gym rats, right? They can they can work out three times a day. They love it. And then you have other people who are like, oh, God, I, you know, I hate going to the gym, but I'm going right. So. Why, what motivates them to go to the gym? They, it makes them feel good. They know that it's good for them. Uh, they know that when they're there, they enjoy it. And when they're done, they feel good. But the motivation to go isn't instinctive. It's not like you have to actually think about it if you don't like going to the gym. It's not because you don't like uh, the workout. It's just that you're not, you're motivated by something else. So for women, they may be motivated by something else rather than just the desire, right? So a, a woman, who, for example, who feels like, like uh, she wants to get close to her partner and she wants to express love and, and feel connected and where um, her partner shows her love, that's what's going to motivate her. The warmth she feels for her partner, the willingness and the wanting to connect to her partner, not just because her clitoris is throbbing because she just saw her husband or her partner come out of the shower naked. That's not enough. There has to be more. So that's, I'm not saying this is true of all women, but for the most part, in long-term relationships, this is kind of how it works. And if we understand that, we realize, oh, most of us are pretty normal then. But we have to work at creating the conditions necessary for us to um, enjoy the sexual experience and want to seek out that pleasure. Because I always ask women, why are you denying yourself the pleasure? You're not having sex, but you're denying pleasure. So if we stop, stop looking at sex as something we give and more something that we take for ourselves, then we could maybe make that switch a little bit. No, 100%. And I think that the more we learn about our bodies and the more we prioritize our pleasure, the more we are encouraged to have sex because it is good and it is enjoyable and it's exciting when it is good. I think it's just more about figuring out what works for your body. and um, Yeah, and that can take time to, to understand your own body, but also our bodies change as we get older. So what works for you now is not going to work for you at 40. 
or 50 or 60, right? And and I speak to older women who tell me that the best sex they've ever had is in their later years. I've heard this years. too, so I'm very excited mm-hmm. to age. Uh- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the that's the attitude. Sex does get better with age, which is one of the reasons I wrote my book is I wanted to make sure people understood that that they didn't just say, "Well, I'm old, I'm too old for sex now." No, you don't give up on it. You make it better. You make it the best it could be. So you may have less quantity, but you you end up having more quality. Well, I think women women learn to stop caring so much about what others think, and they um, they get more comfortable in their bodies, even in their bodies that are imperfect. <laughs> you know, as we get older, they get more imperfect. Uh, but there's a, an acceptance, and so they end up having a, a better self image. Even even their bodies may be less than before, they have a better self image. Hmm. That's that's really interesting to like think about because I I my mom always tells me you're in the best shape of your life. You're never going to look like this again. Enjoy it. Don't don't complain. Blah blah blah. So it's 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 interesting to see how physically it might be different when you're older, but mentally you might just have a better way of understanding and accepting. And I think that too because we start kind of so late figuring out what our bodies are and what they do and how incredible they are like the fact that i learned that my clitoris is only there for pleasure at 20 years old i'm late in the game so (laughs) (laughs) i I had that conversation when my kids were in the bath i think they were like three or four four or five years old and and they were you know touching themselves like washing and what have you and, and my daughter goes like oh what's this it's like a little button yeah, she's t- and I, I said that's called the clitoris, and that is there for your pleasure. Amazing. <laughs> so that's what it does. Uh, so going back to pleasure, um, when we're trying to integrate it into our life and focus on kind of encouraging pleasure in the bedroom, um, how can we do this, especially like with a partner? Because since women don't have that instinctual sexual desire in longer term relationships, how do we start communicating this to our partner to make sure that they understand that it's not them and it's not us, it's just kind of how things are? Yes, but it doesn't mean it may be how things are, but it doesn't mean you stop working at getting to a, a place where you're both good right where where you're both happy with the state of your sexuality so what that requires is is good sexual communication which is something else we're not taught so this is something you have to learn later in life is that to have good sexual communication you have to be able to a know yourself and what you want and b transmit it to the other person and to be able to say this is what i need so being able to understand and say look when you piss me off or when we have a fight I am not in the mood for sex this day or the next day I need time to recover this does nothing to warm my heart to want to be close to you this puts a wall between us whereas for your partner it might be this is the solution to fixing it right well we'll just have sex and forget about it well in your head like you're not over it yet and having sex is not going to make you get over it because you can't have sex if this is still going on so it's it's understanding what you need to put you into that frame of mind where you are receptive to all of it, where you want to be receptive. So you want to have that sexuality, 
but it's not the same as your as as being horny it's wanting in the head not wanting in the genitals hmm. do you know what i mean yeah so it's not like it's not driven by your genitals it's not like if your partner says i'm horny well where does the horny come from it comes from just you know it's like i'm hungry right <laughs> but what if you're never hungry that doesn't mean you're never going to eat it doesn't mean you don't care what you eat you just have to kind of stimulate your appetite a little bit so you have to look at it in a different way and being able to transmit that information to your partner and to let them know what it is that you need so uh, i like it when uh, when you when foreplay starts in the morning when you say nice things to me when you send me love notes when you text me a hey honey i'm thinking about you when you say i love you when you show me non-sexual affection when you help me around the house when you what all these things are the things that are going to warm my heart so that I want to be close to you. But if you come home every day and you're a grouch and, you know, you ignore me or you hardly ever tell me you love me or you never comment on how good I look or you never say anything, how am I going to feel warmth towards you? And then just suddenly I'm going to switch it on and want to have sex? So it, we have to understand how we, we can be different. No, for sure. Now, so, sometimes the situation is reversed, by the way. So it's not always like man and woman difference. Sometimes it's the woman. Like, I know we're being a little heterosexist here, but just for, mm -hmm. for, for, to, for ease. Um, sometimes you have the woman who's the more sexual one and the man who has more of that female brain. So you have to, this is why therapy is kind of helpful to be able to tease it all out and, and figure it out. No, and I think that that's also an important note that you discussed earlier is that we aren't taught how to communicate these things. We're not taught about what's good for our bodies and what's going to bring us pleasure, but we're also not taught how to tell a partner this. So I think that that's a super integral role in incorporating pleasure in your sex life because it does take two to tango regardless of who you're tangoing with and you have to tell your partner <laughs> two or three or four however, however <laughs> you want to tangle with <laughs> but I, I think that a lot of women uh, especially uh, just going off of my own experience with my girlfriends have trouble telling their partner hey I don't really like this or I was watching this comedy special I think it was Pete Davidson and he was talking about how like girls will just fake orgasms to like get it over with yes and then he was explaining he's like if a girl was sucking my dick and it hurt i would tell her stop <laughs> and I, it's so ridiculous but so many of us put up with like uh-huh this not good sex and we're just like let it be over and it's like i don't know any guy who would fake an orgasm to just let it be done you know well there are a few it, it has but it happens to men too but that is the main reason fake the orgasm two reasons why uh, either it's to protect his ego make him feel good because women are natural pleasers in many ways and second is to, to just get it over with like stop just to stop it you know uh, yeah, I, Sadly. I can definitely attest to just being like, this is so awful, I just want it to be done. But there you go. <laughs> I definitely think that with a partner that you're, you know, planning on continuing having exactly. sex with, you, you really don't want to fake. <laughs> you really could you imagine? Yeah, because if you faked it every time, they're thinking they're doing the right thing. 
Mm-hmm. And then they Dang. don't change anything. That's right. So... You got it. But, um... I wanted to ask you... Um... I kind of like to ask people quick... Quick questions at the end of the episode. Just kind of like things they wish people knew or things you would tell your younger self. What is something you wish more women understood about their vulvas and pleasure in general? Like if you could just... If there's one thing you could just get out there and ingrain in every woman's brain... What would you say? Understand that your clitoris gives you pleasure and that it, it, it but it's not just a thing. It, it's connected to everything else. So if you, um, you have a right to pleasure, first of all, you have to accept that it's your right to have pleasure. There's no shame in having pleasure and your clitoris is there and it's the only organ that exists for pleasure alone it has no other function whatsoever so explore it get to know it and whether it's from the outside or the inside understand that it's a bigger structure and there are many ways to access the different uh parts of it but that's on you to find so masturbate use sex toys figure out what it is that feels good for you Amazing. And if you could go back and tell your 15-year-old self something, what would you tell her? Oh, my. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. Stop caring what people think so much, probably. Back then it was maybe a, a, something people, I don't know. I, high school was a very judgy kind of place, and, uh, and there were like, if you had a boyfriend and... and and you, if you were sexual, people were, you know, you were called the slut and, and whatever, even though they were doing shit on the side too. But it was always people scapegoating others and slut shaming. There's a whole lot of slut shaming going on in my day. So uh, I would say, you know what? Screw everybody else. Do what's right for you. As long as you're in control. And I've often told my own kids when they were that age is that you make sure you're, you're in control of your sexuality, meaning you do what you want to do. And if you're going to have sex, do it because you want to have sex, not because someone else pressures you to have sex. And if the sex doesn't feel good, check it out. There's something wrong. It should feel good. So don't have sex just to have sex. Have sex because it feels good to you. Amazing. I think actually a lot of high schoolers don't realize that sex is good until they kind of go to university or, or they have their first long-term boyfriend and they're kind of just doing it to be there and to get it over with. That's a big thing in high school. I don't want to go to university as a virgin. So I think that's a super, Oof, yeah. yeah, I know. I didn't do that. I, I waited until I was ready. I was like, <laughs> if I'm not ready, I'm not doing it. Um, yeah. And who know? you know, oftentimes we think we're ready and listen, the majority of people, their first sexual experiences, they regret. So it's like, it wasn't under the best circumstances. Um, it doesn't ruin their lives or anything, but it's it's just a question of we we realize in hindsight how little we know about ourselves at that first experience, you know. And, and I think teaching young women to take charge of their sexuality that it is theirs and that they uh, that consenting to it, they have to be enthusiastic about it. They shouldn't feel, uh, you know, submission is submitting to somebody is not the same as consenting. 
So a partner that pressures you into having sex and you get you say yes under that pressure, you are not consenting to sex. That is not consenting because it will not be pleasurable to you if that's your mindset already, if you're already feeling pressured, you're doing it for someone else. So if anything, I would love to empower young women to, to speak up and say, no, like I'm going to do it when I'm ready, when I want to. And, and so that's one thing that I'd love to, you know, work on with younger people as well. I think that's so great. And I, that's definitely a common thread in a lot of the guests I've had. Uh, the power of no is something that a lot of us, even myself, still need to learn. So mm-hmm. um, I really encourage that narrative and that empowerment, especially for our younger listeners, to just understand that they have autonomy and they, they own their bodies and they're the ones yes. that get to make the decisions. Um, so, yeah. Sad, sadly, sadly, a lot of women have not had the feeling that they own their bodies because their bodies have been used and abused. If you look at the you know numbers of women who have been molested or sexually abused by the time they're 18, it's astronomical numbers. So it's not like society teaches us that we have control. It's the opposite. They teach us that we should fear, um, you know, that we don't have control over our bodies, that other people can take control over our bodies. So we have to be, we have to teach women how to say no loudly, <laughs> how to fight for and and fight their boundaries you know and push back because women are, are often taught not to make a fuss about anything and so they kind of let things happen uh i'm not talking about you know violent things and such but oftentimes that's that's it so if we teach kids at an early age about their bodies and that they own it and nobody's allowed to touch them without their consent we may get more kids speaking up when someone does try to cross a boundary and maybe we'll have less you know situations of abuse no 100 percent, and i think that even teaching kids will prevent abusers from thinking that this type of narrative and dialogue is okay and right um, well they're less vulnerable if they know that the kid is aware of sexuality they're not going to go after that kid because that kid is going to tell and abusers are picking very vulnerable kids those who they can easily manipulate no 100 percent. so i think that that's Um, A very important thing to recognize and to instill, and it takes a lot of time to learn, but I think that, you know, the sooner we start, the sooner we'll flourish in nose. (laughs) Yes, yes. Our sexuality is also a journey that we're on. It's not, there's no like maximum that we reach or there's no one peak because it's a, it's a forever evolving uh, entity. Right. Our sexuality evolves. It's fluid in many ways. And uh, we have to we have to learn that about our sexuality as well, that it can change and it's okay, You know, well, thank God it would be boring if we just one day it was just the best. And then that's all it goes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You don't want to think that. Oh, shit. I'm like, this is a far place to fall. (laughs) I wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. It was so enjoyable to have you. Do you want to tell people? where they can find you maybe shout out your radio show again your instagram sure 
So you can hear me every night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on CJD 800. You can go on the website CJD, uh, CJD.com or iHeartRadio. My website is DrLaurie.com where my TED Talks are there and information about my book is there as well. And then on Instagram, Facebook, it's uh, at uh, Dr. Lori Batito. All right. Thank you for that plug. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you'll have a lot of people coming and asking you questions and catching up on your videos. Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you again. Anytime. <laughs> but before we go, I can't forget to mention this week's sponsor, Itoba Toys. Itoba Toys has such a unique G-spot sex toy that I have to tell you about. The OMG is the first ever completely silent female G-Spot sex toy. The pearl on the top of the toy is designed to directly massage your G-Spot that will rival even the greatest oral sex. Featuring a smooth exterior and a C-shaped design, the OMG offers a level of G-Spot stimulation that you can't just get with any other toy. So if you want to learn more about this, make sure to check out our Instagram account because I think we're doing a very special giveaway this week. I just wanted to thank Dr. Lori again for coming on the podcast, educating us, being the best sexpert we could possibly have. Um, and if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast and check us out on Instagram at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I wanted to thank you all for taking the time to listen to the podcast, like, and subscribe, and I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>